Chapter Nineteen of That Affair at Portstead Manor by Gladys Edson Locke. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Thrust and Parry. The inquest was held in the hall of the school, that building being the largest and only modern one in Portstead Village, and it was, of course, crowded to its utmost capacity by curious villagers and sensation-seeking strangers from the city and the neighboring hamlets. It was indeed an incongruous assemblage, where men and women of fashion and title, avid to behold, as a break in the boredom of their lives, the harrowing spectacle of those of their own class, bearers of an ancient name, pilloried before the mob, jostled elbows and pushed and fought for seats with gaping yokels and the usual morbid throng of idlers who follow up every inquest that bids fair to be sensational. The case had aroused widespread interest owing to the prominence of the murdered man and the publicity given it by the newspapers, which latterly had been hinting broadly of the probable implication in the murder of a certain member of the deceased Earl's family. While Robert's name had not been definitely mentioned, it had been so glaringly suggested that the public had already mentally tried and condemned him. Robert, upon entering the hall, seemed to become aware of this hostile attitude toward him, for he at once assumed his old reckless air of defiance, which brought upon him the coroner's frown and the greater prejudice of the spectators. He flung himself down with studied nonchalance between his sister and Elsie Baring, and proceeded to stare out of countenance any curious person who looked his way. Lady Ursula realized the bad impression he was creating, and sought in vain to make him lower his coolly insolent gaze. But although in driving over to the village he had shown her the greatest consideration, he was now doggedly intractable. Elsie Baring plucked once or twice warningly at his sleeve, but desisted when she saw that it only made him angry. Lady Ursula had guarded against the stares of the curious by enveloping her face in a thick black veil which successfully concealed her features. The apprehensiveness which she had evinced in the hours before the inquest was no longer apparent. She had evidently steeled herself to composure, and sat with a quiet dignity, exquisitely dressed as always, her black-gloved hands lightly folded in her lap. She paid no heed to the ostentatious, half-patronizing bows of acquaintances. Perhaps she did not see them through the meshes of her veil. Lady Pevensey sat upon her left in extravagant mourning. She always went into black upon the slightest provocation, believing that it gave her a distinguished appearance. And indeed, Mr. Clavering, in spite of the solemnity of the occasion, could not prevent his thoughts from dwelling upon how handsome and well-preserved a woman she was. He sat across the aisle from her, together with Lord Meldrum. It seemed to him that Meldrum looked years older than he had done yesterday. It was as though something of the oppressiveness and sordidness of the courtroom had descended upon him, crushing the boyishness and the exuberance of spirits which he had hitherto kept alive in spite of conventional training and the responsibilities of manhood. The bronzed pink of his complexion had given way to pallor. His eyes were shadowed, their bright blue darkened, and his clean-shaven mouth wore a severe, determined expression. But his bearing was perfectly calm, perfectly correct, as conventionality required, and he was apparently unconscious of the glances of mingled curiosity and admiration bent upon him. Harry Brooks was seated directly behind Lady Ursula, and his nearness to this exquisite woman of the world served only to emphasize his own commonplaceness. Once he ventured to lean forward and whisper to her, 
a proceeding which seemed to annoy her extremely and elicited from her a very curt reply the secretary sank back abashed but with an angry gleam in his eyes and turned his gaze upon lord meldrum an unfriendly and vindictive gaze toward the back of the hall mr clavering espied mary gray quietly and tastefully dressed in her favorite color when she met his glance she did not smile as usual but gravely bowed then her eyes traveled to lady ursula's black-robed figure and a great pity came into them mr clavering had never seen mary gray in such a mood as this and it somehow increased his apprehensions as to what would be the outcome of the inquest the physician who had been summoned on the night of the murder was the first witness called his testimony was mainly concerning the nature of portstead's wound the bullet had pierced the heart and death must have been instantaneous the body lay upon its back on the library floor midway between the garden door and the circular staircase he believed that the probability of suicide should be eliminated it was barely possible that the wound could have been self-inflicted but with difficulty and the absence of powder marks seemed to prove that the shot had been fired from a distance of several feet moreover the weapon had been missing and only found after systematic search mr clavering wondered who it was that had authorized mary gray the discoverer of the pistol to make a systematic search but the coroner was asking a question the significance of which appalled him you have stated doctor he observed that the shot was probably fired from a distance of several feet and that the body was found lying midway between the garden door and the circular staircase now in your opinion could the shot have been fired by a person standing either by the stairs or by the garden door the physician considered before he answered in my opinion mr coroner it could have been and probably was fired by a person standing either by the stairs or by the garden doorway at this robert sylvester with white face suddenly sprang up as if to refute the statement then set his lips and as suddenly sat down again his action created a stir of commotion through the hall and the usher called for order the report of the coroner's physician came next and was mainly corroborative of the preceding testimony the post-mortem examination showed that the bullet had entered the chest in the third left intercostal space and had taken an oblique course backward piercing the heart and lodging in the muscles to the left of the spinal column he reiterated the improbability of the wound being self-inflicted and in response to the coroner's question stated as his colleague had done that the shot might have been fired from the circular stairs or from the garden doorway and which is the more likely asked the coroner robert excitedly leaning forward seemed to be hanging on the physician's answer conventionality counted not a straw's weight with him he scorned or was utterly unable to mask his emotions at length the physician's answer came that is impossible to say because of the level course taken by the bullet robert sat back distinctly relieved that will do doctor said the coroner you are excused next witness please and now it was lady ursula's turn she must face the ordeal for which she had nerved herself there was an immediate craning of necks and eager whispering as she rose instantly but without perturbed haste when the usher called her name for god's sake be careful was robert's muttered injunction audible to mr clavering across the aisle at the coroner's request lady ursula raised her veil and a faint color stole into her cheeks as she met the merciless battery of eyes a limpid tender look came into meldrum's as he beheld her standing there tall elegant in the glory of beautiful womanhood 
she was still composed, even slightly disdainful, of the undisguised inquisitive or coldly appraising stares leveled upon her, but one felt the willpower behind her composure. With a quiet, thank you, she accepted the chair offered her, after having kissed the Bible and taken the oath. Mr. Clavering expected her glance would fall on Robert, whose agitation was so great as again to draw the attention of the coroner upon him, but instead her gaze sought Meldrum's and held it steadily, until the coroner, after a few preliminary questions, startled her from her studied calm by asking again when she had last seen the deceased Earl alive. "'At dinner Tuesday night,' she faltered, now flashing a peculiar glance at Robert. "'And not later?' questioned the coroner. "'No.' "'Your ladyship is sure?' Lady Ursula raised her head with a haughty gesture. "'I have answered you, sir.' The coroner received the rebuke with darkening face, and his voice was hard as he put the next question. "'What were your relations with your deceased brother? Were you on affectionate terms?' There was a slight, barely perceptible curl of Lady Ursula's lip. "'My brother, the late Earl of Portstead, was not a man to be on affectionate terms with anyone. His was a cold and restrained nature.' The coroner tried once more. "'Well, then, were you on friendly terms?' Lady Ursula fenced again. "'He was my brother, sir. Why should we not be on friendly terms?' The coroner was conscious of a sense of irritation at her refusal to make a direct answer, and something of this showed in his tone as he said, "'I don't know why you should not, my lady, but I ask if you were.' Lady Ursula seemed at last to become aware that she was alienating the sympathy of the audience by her parries. She took herself in hand once more and replied in an even voice, I think I may say that we were. The coroner let this pass. And was your younger brother also on friendly terms with the deceased Earl? The note of sarcasm in the coroner's voice was not lost on Lady Ursula. In spite of herself, she flushed with anger. Am I here, sir, to answer personal questions that can concern only the members of my family? Your ladyship is here to answer any questions that I may put to you in the interests of the case, replied the coroner sternly. "'In the interests of the case, yes,' she said haughtily. "'But I shall decline to answer any questions that I consider purely personal and entirely irrelevant.' "'Your ladyship will do as you think best about that,' retorted the coroner, giving rein to his irritation. "'But I warn you that refusal to answer creates a bad impression upon the jury.' Lady Ursula compressed her lips and awaited in disdainful silence the next question, which amazed others as well as herself." "'What were the relations between your deceased brother and Lord Meldrum?' The colour mounted now in Meldrum's cheeks, but Lady Ursula went white. "'They held differing political opinions, as I presume you know,' she answered, with lip which would quiver. "'Had they any personal quarrel?' persisted the coroner. Lady Ursula struggled to recover her poise. She looked again upon Meldrum's fine face and said, with a proud ring in her voice, which she did not seek to still, Lord Meldrum is not a man to indulge in petty personal disagreements or quarrels, and my deceased brother, as I have stated, was of a cold and restrained nature. But the coroner was not satisfied. I am told that Lord Meldrum had a late interview in the library Tuesday night with the deceased Earl. Was it an amicable one? Harry Brooks bent forward at this and fixed his burning eyes on Lady Ursula. Mr. Clavering, for the second time, had a strong desire to thrash the little secretary. He knew at whose suggestion this question had been put. Lady Ursula studied the coroner's face as though to read his purpose in this last question. Then she answered coldly, 
I was not asked to be present at the interview. The coroner abruptly changed his tactics. Your ladyship's chamber is in the west wing opposite the circular stairs? It is. So that if there had been a quarrel, and the door leading up to the stairs had been open, as it was found to be when the body was discovered, you would have been likely to hear it? Lady Ursula hesitated a perceptible length of time. Robert was watching her fearfully. I might have heard, she said finally, if my own door had been open. Was it open that night? No, she replied in a constrained voice. Mr. Clavering felt that she was not speaking the truth, and it was borne in upon him that the coroner's questions were tending to implicate not Robert, but Meldrum. He dreaded Harry Brooks' testimony. But the coroner had not yet finished with Lady Ursula. Where was your ladyship when the shot occurred? In my room. With the door shut? Certainly. You heard the shot with distinctness? An irrepressible tremor shook her. With horrible distinctness. The coroner's manner grew openly aggressive. Your ladyship heard the shot with horrible distinctness, even with the door closed, he said harshly, and yet you have just stated that under the same circumstances you would not have been able to hear the sounds of a quarrel. Lady Ursula bit her lip. I have said, she responded with hauteur, that neither Lord Meldrum nor my deceased brother would have been likely to indulge in vulgar quarrelling. In any case, I think you will admit that a pistol shot has remarkable carrying qualities. The coroner conceded this, but he was determined to press her beyond retreat. I am to understand, then, that your ladyship heard no sounds from the library, no sounds of voices raised in dispute, until the shot? I have given you to understand that, sir. At this juncture, Burton, whom Mr. Clavering had not observed before, hastily stepped forward and passed a card to the coroner. He read it slowly, and turning again to Lady Ursula, asked, You did not, then, hear your younger brother, Robert Sylvester, when he returned from the country club, entering the manor by the garden door into the library, where the deceased Earl was waiting up? Mr. Clavering heard a gasp from Elsie Baring, and saw a bitter smile cross Robert's face. Lady Ursula started up from her chair, her eyes flashing like those of a baited animal at bay. The insistent official had at last succeeded in breaking completely through her defences. She had not even the barrier of hauteur left. "'Who says my brother returned?' she demanded desperately. "'No matter who says so, my lady. Did he return?' "'No! No!' she cried vehemently. It was easy to see that not a soul in the hall believed her. The coroner felt that he could afford not to urge the point. "'We will go back a little, my lady,' he said, striving to speak in a calm, official tone. "'When you heard the pistol shot, what did you do?' "'I, I obeyed impulse and rushed down the stairs.' "'The circular stairs?' suggested the coroner gently. "'Yes, that is, no,' hastily correcting herself. "'I went down the great staircase, the main staircase.' Mr. Clavering had the same sensation of doubt and misgiving, that he had experienced when she had previously stated that she had gone down the great staircase. There was almost compassion in the coroner's eyes as he asked, "'Is it not rather strange that with the circular stairs directly opposite your door you should not descend them, but instead should traverse the entire west wing and go down by the main stairs?' She stared at him, terrified. "'I was beside myself with fear. I did not know what I was doing. I did not know where the shot came from.' "'My lady,' The coroner leaned toward her and surveyed her with searching glance. "'Shall I tell you why you did not go down the circular stairs? Because you were already there, in the library.' Lady Ursula swayed in her chair. 
a wave of excitement stirred the spectators lord meldrum his correct composure long since shattered looked as though he could have crushed the pitiless magistrate robert's expression was terrible he shook off elsie baring's restraining hand and springing toward the coroner's desk cried wildly i wish to testify End of chapter 19